the final installment of our Gifted series to you this morning. And uh, before I jump into that, back to Roatan, what impacted me the most, this was my first time going to Roatan, is for me to have a joyful spirit, for me to worship, for me to feel like loving people, all the, the, the circumstances of my life have to line up just right for me to be able to worship. I walked onto uh, somebody, I went to somebody's house in Roatan, let me just put it this way. It had no reason to be busting out in spontaneous worship. They had no business worshiping God because of their circumstances. And it just rocked my faith big time, seeing them loving the Lord despite what this world is doing to them or how it's impacting them. So anyway, uh, the AC doesn't have to be perfect. The donuts don't have to be fresh, and the coffee doesn't have to be hot. We have no excuse for not worshiping God. So today, we're going to conclude our gifted series on, uh, uh, well, on leadership. It's the seventh mercy or ministry gift that the Lord has given us, or grace gift that the Lord has given us to operate in within the church. And Romans says this, we have different gifts, and you can show that slide up there. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is to lead, do it diligently, the text says. Now, not to be confused with natural talents or acquired skills, the supernatural grace gift of leadership is a spiritual gift given and empowered by the Spirit of God for spiritual purposes with eternal rewards for the diligently faithful. This is super important to understand. This morning, we're going to examine what Scripture has to say. We're not going to look at leadership books or manuals or guides, though those are important. They do have their place. But we're going to take a look at Scripture and see what it says regarding the gift of leadership, including how to recognize it, develop it, and operate in it. Are you with me? Okay, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I ask that... Uh, you would open up our hearts and our minds to, the, to the, the wonderful opportunity that some of us have to be leaders in the local church, to be leaders in your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that uh, as you speak through me, that I would be sensitive to that which you want me to say, and, and those that you don't want me to say, I pray that you just zip up my mouth and I won't say it. I pray, Lord, that you'd be exalted and glorified here, and I pray that those who carry the mantle of leadership would walk out of this room enthusiastic, joyful, hyper-focused on the opportunities ahead to make much of you and to experience the joy of serving the risen King. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's recap what we have previously covered in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, according to the grace given to us. We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith, if service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. 
showing mercy with cheerfulness. So before we move on to today's passage, let's recap what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is a gift, not a reward. Let me, let me say that again. It's a gift. It's not a reward. God does not owe you anything. You were not born with this gift. You are not God's gift to the world or to this church or to the marketplace. But in a sense, you are. For those who are believers of Christ in the body of Christ, you are a gift. You did not appoint yourself to this gift of leadership. You didn't one day say, I look the part. I'm going to be a leader. It doesn't work that way. It is a gift from God imparted by the Holy Spirit upon your spiritual rebirth. When you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit invaded your life. You, you were uh, uh, given new life and, and, and new superpower or powers. That is where the spiritual gift comes from. By faith, you receive that as part of the benefit of becoming a child of God. A spiritual gift, also called a ministry gift, is a unique God-given ability to get God's work done in the church and in the world. That's what leadership is all about. So let me expand upon leadership a little bit more. Leadership is essentially the influence we have on others. That's what leadership is. Now, a gifted leader influences and organizes others to reach a bigger vision. The best amongst them aim not just to get things done. How many of you have had leaders just all about getting things done? Taskmasters, taskmasters right? Let's get from here to there at any cost. A good leader grows people in the process. A good leader builds up people. That's what we're to do in the church. We're not just to move Hope Rock Church from one place to another, but we're to build the people up that are coming alongside of us. So how can I know that I have the gift of leadership? I think it's quite simple. People are inspired by you and follow your lead. Do you inspire people? Are people following your lead? Now, I, I believe I've been given the leadership gift. It's not something I ask God for. I'm, I have my own insecurities. I struggle in communication. Uh, I'm an introvert. This is the last thing an introvert wants to do is be leading people. I'd rather just kind of you know, you know, shrink back and just be a part of the crowd. But for whatever reason, God has called me to be a leader in the local church. And, and the way I can maybe give you a picture of what that looks like for me personally, maybe it'll make sense, maybe it won't. As I am pursuing God, as I am pursuing Jesus in my car, my spiritual car, my faith car, I look in the rearview mirror and I, and I see people in the same vehicle as me going the same direction I'm going in. And the fact that I have people in my car with me, going with me, responding to me, uh, being blessed by me, uh, growing in faith with me, as I look in the rearview mirror of life, I realize that I have influence over people. Therefore, I think I have a leadership gift. Does that make sense? So in your own lives, if you look in the rearview mirror of your pursuit of where you're going, do you have people in the car with you following you? If you do, you are a leader. So we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about leadership. Now, I found it, uh, well, not surprising, but so cool that the author of Romans, which happens to be Paul, basically gives us the roadmap to leadership 
on the bookends of the passage we've been looking at. We've been looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, which is all about the gifts of the Spirit. But preceding that and following it, I believe, are the keys to sound, effective, biblical leadership. So let's take a look at this. I'll show you how I got to this conclusion. You go to the next slide there, Mr. Tim. Oh, you're way behind. But that's okay. For those who are uh, slow to process what I'm talking about, there, there we go. Okay. Uh, there we go. Okay. So any fight clubbers in here? Wednesday morning Bible study guys, whether you've come once, twice, or been coming for years, raise your hands. Okay. Look at all the guys in the room. Can, can you tell what I'm about to do here? Do you see what's going on here? <laughs> Ryan's laughing. So as I look at the text, we have what we call conjunctions. A conjunction bridges the gap between what was previously said and what is about to be said. A conjunction makes what's about to be said more clear because of what was previously said. Oftentimes, what was previously said is the big setup for what's about to be said. We've been talking about what is about to be said, which are the ministry gifts, but we haven't been looking very much at what preceded this passage, which I believe is the key not only to, to leadership, but whether you have the gift of mercy or generosity or teaching, any gift that you carry, I believe what we're about to go through will help you lead the way you're supposed to lead and give you confidence in leading. Now, just a, uh, just a little you know, caveat here. All the gifts we're not covering. In fact, I don't believe all the gifts that God has bestowed upon His body of believers is actually in the text that we're looking at or any other biblical text. I believe God's greater than what we're seeing here. But this is a great launching pad for you to begin to wrestle with how has God wired you? What has He given you to do in terms of a task to build up the body of church? So take a look at this. According to the grace given to us, this is on the bottom of the screen. Go back. Please. Thank you. According. Yeah, so if you haven't figured it out by now, I fire. I fire like a. What do I fire like? Fire hose. So Charlie always tells me to slow down. Don't use as many words as you use. Be a little more concise. And he is sitting here right now critiquing me. He's got his notebook out. Twelve six is the, is the primary text we're looking at today in terms of leadership. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts if leading, lead with diligence. Well, according to the grace, well, what grace? If I go back a few verses, for by the grace given to me, this is Paul speaking. Okay, well, Paul's saying, well, because of the grace, well, why? Well, therefore, brothers and sisters, in 12.1, and now we're going into chapter 3, verse 36, 4, and then verse 34 there's a four. And I always ask my guys in Bible study to ask this question. What is for, therefore? What is therefore, therefore? These are key grammatical markers that will help us understand the, the thought process or the writing flow that the biblical author has in mind. So before we can fully understand about leading with diligence, we have to back up a little bit. Are you with me? And I promise it won't be too much longer. So Romans Chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. Let's go to the next slide. 
Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? All these gifts that we talk about, all the gifts that we embody as, as, as a body of believers, the foundation of these gifts is found in God, not in institutions, not in a church manual, not in a leadership manual. It's by God that we have even the, the capacity to lead or being given the leadership mantle. Oh, if we could understand the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, it would just change our perspective on, on God and who we are in Christ. This not only pertains to God's wonderful plan of salvation for his people, this passage, this pertains to God's sovereignty over all things, gifts included. Gifts are God's idea. It's not our idea. I didn't walk in one day, or Jeremy walk in one day, or Jeremy over here, or Charlie, or Dub, and say, you know what? I think I want to be this in the body of Christ. That's not how it works. But we do have people that say, yeah, I want to be this because let me count the benefits. Uh, reserve parking out front if you go to a big denominational church somewhere. Uh, maybe I get to wear a fancy robe or everybody's going to respect me. Or I'm going to look important. No, that's not how God's church runs and operates. Gifts are God's idea. Who are we to argue or deny or take credit? This is for those who wrestle with God, like, why me? It's not, up to us, it's not up to us to ask God why he chose us for a certain purpose. If we have a grander vision of God and his unsearchable judgments and his untraceable ways, we see the grandiose bigness of God, we'll humbly bow down and worship and say, if I could be a part of this kingdom building, I'll take it. And I'm going to trust you, God, to give you what I need to lead or to serve or to extend mercy or to be generous, whatever your gift is. It's so important to understand that God designed it this way. We can't take credit for it. And who are we to ask God why? And this is, this is what I'm going to lean on right now. Who are you to judge someone like me who says he has a leadership uh, gifting if you don't see that in me, or at least not to the perfect level that you think I should be preaching, for instance, or teaching? We're not to judge others. Oh, hmm. So he has the gift of mercy. Hmm. It's not very merciful half the time. You know, you know, I would suggest that you working out this gifting that you feel God has placed on your life, it's between you and God, okay? Work it out, pray on it, study Scripture, walk in that gifting that you feel God's given you, and either it's going to flourish and bear much fruit, or you're going to realize, yeah, I'm off track a little bit. Maybe this isn't my gifting. But we're not to judge others based on, you know, we, we have these metrics. Oh, if you are that, you should be achieving this and accomplishing that and looking like this. And that's not God's economy. God's the ultimate judge, and we will stand before him someday, and we will lay our lives bare, and he'll say, oh, this is going to be worth uh, eternal rewards. Uh, that, that, that passes. This you built on a, on, a, on, a, on a clay found or a sand foundation, or that was for yourself, that, that doesn't count. No matter how great you did that particular thing, God's going to be the one to uh, ultimately decide what brought him glory and what didn't. So don't question why me. 
Lord, and don't question why him or her. So let's pause for one moment here. I want to make this clear. I don't think there's a slide for this. God may call people with an evident gift of leadership to lead. God may call people without an evident gift of leadership to lead. He may call you to do other things, mercy, generosity, teaching, that may not be evident right now. But God's power is often displayed best in human weakness, right? This is why so many, not all of the biblical leaders that we see and read about are people that culturally we would not choose to follow. Moses can't speak. He's a stutterer. Uh, David messed up. Uh, Paul, formerly known as Saul, a murderer of the Christians, maybe not a man of great stature, and, and, and chances are he didn't speak very eloquently based on some of the texts we read. So we may say, because I'm looking at this person through a human vision or prism, they don't, they, they, they're not who they say they are. God can't possibly have called them to that particular gift, whatever it might be. It's also important to note that a mediocre talent or ability can be adapted by God into a spiritual gift which God uses greatly. While at other times, an obvious natural talent in someone who comes to faith never seems to be used in that capacity. So, I'm a mediocre leader prior to coming to know Jesus. I, I was a great leader in the worldly sense. I led big companies. I led lots of people. I was quite successful. And I still am. I'm still in the marketplace. I'm not a full-time, you know, paid church staff member here. But God took my natural abilities that in the end would not yield eternal reward. He saved me. He gave me His Spirit, His life, His zeal, and I began to follow Him. And now the, the natural tendencies I have, the natural abilities begin to turn into spiritual superpowers that actually have an eternal significant difference or making a difference in people's lives. Does that make sense to you? So don't judge who you are now based on what God's calling you to be. And remember, He may call you to do something that you're not naturally gifted in, but He is exalted in your weakness. He is big in your weakness. God's gifts are for His glory and His glory alone. Romans 11.35 says this, And who has ever given to God that He should be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. God owes us nothing. What He purposes is for Himself. What He plans for you is ultimately for His exaltation. It's not for yours or mine. But what a joy it is to be used in the working out of God's plan. So I'm going to share with you what I believe are three keys to effective biblical leadership. And again, this all precedes the gifts passage. It's no coincidence that Paul is setting this up, the gifts uh, uh, discourse or passage or teaching, with what I'm sharing with you right now. And we're going to look at something that follows that same passage. And I believe these are the keys to effective biblical leadership, okay? Number one, diligently pursue personal holiness. 
To be a leader in God's kingdom, to be a servant in God's kingdom, to be generous in God's kingdom, to be a teacher in God's kingdom, to be merciful in God's kingdom, to be whatever it is that God's called you to be, it is not going to be effective if you are not pursuing personal holiness. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, what are the mercies of God? We did not deserve to be called out of darkness into the kingdom of light. We did not deserve to be given an opportunity to experience everlasting life and escape hell's fire. God's merciful and He's graceful and gracious. His mercies are something we should view every day of our lives. God, even the mantle of leadership, I don't deserve it. To be a spokesman for the kingdom of God, to be leading souls into right relationship with Christ. Why me? I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It doesn't say, you have to feel like it, say no to the flesh. If you feel like it, you know, don't do what the rest of the world's doing. If you feel like it, you know, continue with that bad habit for a while, you know, God's gracious, He'll forgive you. No, to be a leader, to be a mover and a shaker in the kingdom of God, you've got to pursue personal holiness as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. You say you love God, say no to the world. You say you want to be used of God, lay down your fleshly tendencies and be holy for I am holy, God says. Diligently pursue holiness. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, pure and different from the world. That's what holiness is. You're you're other than. You're not like everybody else. You're different. You're clean. You're pure. You're white. You're holy. Pleasing thoughts, holy thoughts. Be holy because I am holy, the Lord says. You, you, you cannot be holy apart from the holiness and the sanctification of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can try to clean up your act. You can try with all your might to say no to your habits or, and say yes to living a Christian life. You're powerless without the Holy Spirit. A beautiful thing happens when you say yes to Jesus. You are instantaneously sanctified purified, holy, and righteous in one nanosecond. But we're to work out who we are positionally in heaven with who we are down here conditionally on earth. Our position and our condition are miles apart. But God sees you as you are in heaven, as what your position is, as a rightful co-heir of the kingdom of God, as a brother or a sister to Jesus, to a son or a daughter of God. But he calls us to work out our condition here on earth so that we become more like Jesus. That is what we're called to do. Pursue that personal holiness. Be sanctified. Represent the king here on earth as he is in heaven. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter and the beginner of your faith, the author and the completer of your faith. You fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how you get holy. That's how you live holy. 
That should be your pursuit. Not holiness in of itself. That will take care of itself as you fix your eyes on Jesus and pursue him. Now, I've experienced a direct correlation between my zeal to obey and God opening doors for me to have an impact on the kingdom. When I've had seasons where I've been like hyper-focused and, and full of zeal, I want to I live like you, Jesus. I want to think like you. I've led more people to Christ in those seasons where I was more accurately representing the mind and the life of Christ. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's biblical or what, but God can certainly save somebody with your witness, even though your witness may not be all that great. I get that. And I'm not trying to put myself up on the pedestal. I'm just saying for me personally, there's been a direct correlation between my pursuit of Jesus and how he uses me. And the more he, he, he uses me, the more I want to pursue him. And the more I want to pursue him and love him and cherish him, the more I want to go make a difference in the world. I want to impact the world with, for Christ. So it's, in a, it's, it's more attractional, this leadership, than it is getting in people's face. Because you don't want to follow me, right? If I'm not going somewhere that you want to go. I'm following Christ, and those that are in my rearview mirror want to go where I'm going. They follow in behind me or alongside of me, and together we're pursuing Christ. But, but I'm the catalyst sometimes for someone going, yeah, I want that. I'm tired of being sick and tired. I want this. Number two, another key for effective biblical leadership is diligently study and practice, put into practice Scripture. Continuing Paul's thought here in, in chapter 2, chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this age. Don't be like everybody else. I called you to be holy to be other than, to be different, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're transformed through Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit. As you begin to meditate and study on God's Word, you realize the, the magnificence of who He is, who you are in Christ, who you were apart from Christ, all the promises that God makes in His Word, all everything. As you meditate on that and you pray over that and you let the Holy Spirit open your eyes to those truths, you're, you're transformed. Your stinking thinking is, is not as powerful in your life as it used to be. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a master at thinking, stinking. Stinking thinking? They got me all confused, Charlie. And we were transformed by the renewing of our mind. As your mind changes, there goes the body. Let me try to put this another way. You only go where your mind tells you to go. If your mind is that direction, your feet are going to follow, right? As my mind begins to see clearly Christ, I naturally go that way. And all this so that we may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Leaders have must have a biblical worldview and live it. Leaders must become more and more like Christ, have the mind of Christ. Discerning the will of God and acting on it yields eternal rewards. How do you know what's good and pleasing and perfect in terms of God's will if you're not meditating on God's Word, studying it, reading it, storing it up in your heart and, and, and recalling that in times of need? 
to be an effective leader or to operate in any of your gifts, you've got to diligently study and practice Scripture. Romans 12.3 continues, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Regardless of your gift, it is from God, for God. Humble leaders are what God desires and expects. Puffed up pride and arrogance are detrimental to servant-hearted leadership. I can't lead you if I feel like I'm all that. I can't lead you if I'm puffed up with pride and I'm demanding things from you. Respect me, listen to me, show up to my Bible studies on time, stay late, and bring donuts. Where's Michael? Thank you, brother. I love you. Scripture and the Holy Spirit yield sensibility and humility, perspective on leading people into maturity of the faith. Continuing Paul's thoughts here in verses 6 through 8, I'm just going to look at verse uh, 8 real quick because that's the premise of our our, uh, message today is on leadership. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is to lead, do it half-heartedly. Do it when it's convenient. If your gift is to lead, do it when, you know, you've had enough sleep. Do it if there's nothing else competing with your time. If you have the gift to lead, lead it like a lazy Sunday afternoon. No, that's not what that says. What does it say? Diligently, with zeal, enthusiasm, intense effort, striving to do one's best. This is what it says. If you're to lead, do it that way. Now, the guys make fun of me. They call me Mark Mode. Oh, he's in Mark Mode. (laughs) Now, at first I was like, is that offensive? You know, maybe I should dial it down. Maybe kind of, you know, preach like this or lead a Bible, you know, for God so loved the world. You know, he, he gave his only begotten son. So I was thinking, maybe I need to like fine tune my method of delivery. But as I've been kind of studying and preparing for this, I realized that actually... This mark mode embodies diligence or zeal. But I always want to make sure that that comes across in a loving, God-honoring way and that you're inspired by my walk and that you want what I have. Diligence, zeal, hyper-focused, excellence, being passionate about leading. Leadership cannot be put on and taken off and put back on again and taken off. You're a leader. You don't choose when to lead. You lead all the time, whether in public or in private. The best way you can lead publicly is to lead yourself privately. You're, just as, you're only as strong as you are publicly as you are in private. Leaders are to carry out their responsibility with diligence. Although leaders in the contemporary world are often seen as 
the fruit of ambition and persistence and good fortune. Biblical leadership is essentially a service carried out for the benefit of others to the glory of God. In the body of Christ, that's why we have leaders, is to lead people to the throne of grace, that we may all experience this transformation from one degree of glory to another. We all have our own functions and our own uh, things we have to do to move the body of Christ forward, but we're not in it for ourselves. It's not for me so I can stand up here and show you that I'm better. Nobody is better than anyone. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. I love 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, be diligent. There's that diligent word again. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Be diligent, be zealous, be intense, be enthusiastic to present yourself as one approved. This simply means show the world that God did not make a mistake when he called you to operate in this capacity. That's what that means. Show God in the world that you are who, you, who God said you are and you're operating in that manner. And you don't have to be ashamed either in this world or before the throne of grace, when we stand before Jesus one day and, and we, our lives are revealed before him. I don't, want to, I don't want to experience any shame. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. The third key to effective biblical leadership, this is the other bookend. On the other side of the, of the, of the gifts passage, look at this. The third key is you have to diligently love the family of God. Romans 12, 9 and 10 says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't say you love and you don't love. Don't say you love Jesus, but you despise your fellow Christians, your brothers and sisters. Detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another. So one, you have to diligently pursue holiness. Two, You've got to diligently study and put into practice God's word. And you've got to diligently, on purpose, with intense intensity and, and enthusiasm, love the family of God. I believe those are the three keys to effective leadership or whatever gift you are, embody. Those three are fundamental. There's other books you can read that maybe fine-tune your leadership skills and, and how you do things. But this is the core, I believe, of sound biblical leadership or else it would not have proceeded and followed Paul's exhortation on the gifts. And I leave you with this final exhortation, Romans 12, 11, which is the final verse of the bookend I want to cover. Do not lack diligence and zeal. In other words, do not lack enthusiasm in being enthusiastic. That's what that means. Be fervent, be enthusiastic in the Spirit. That's the key. It's the Spirit of God that empowers us that we can be diligent and full of zeal and enthusiastic and be able to put forth our best effort because it's powered by the Holy Spirit. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. That is the key to biblical, effective biblical leadership from my perspective. And I believe the Bible makes that clear. So as we close this morning, I want you to know that we have some ministry tables out there, and Jeremy's going to share a little bit about that in a few minutes. But if you are going to attend one of those tables, now's the time for you to go and prepare for our future leaders, our future mercy givers, our future teachers, our future generous givers, the future, whatever God has in store for you people, 
to go out there and figure out how you can get plugged in to the body of Christ here at Hope Rock Church, that you too might get to participate in what God's doing and experience that joy, okay? Let me close this in prayer, and we'll allow you a few minutes outside before you head home. Father, I just uh, said awe that you would allow us to participate in your grand plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would be bold in walking in that which you've called us to do. And if we're insecure, that we find our security in the rock of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit as we go out and do the unthinkable and the natural, but expected in the spiritual, because you've called us to do that. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for all the people here. I pray, Lord, that we go on to be world changers for your glory, for your honor. I pray that many people would come to know Jesus because of our witness and our servant hearts. Well, I pray they would see that we're different. We march to the beat of a different drum, our allegiances to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to nothing else. I pray that that would be so attractional that people would want what we have and we build the kingdom of God through our witness and the preaching of your word. I thank you for this time. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your honor we're here today. In Jesus' name, amen.